BBC Sounds. Music, radio, podcasts. Before we go any further, there are some descriptions of violence and some upsetting moments involving children in this episode. My story? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It is very hard to believe. We live in a small city called Broca. When he was walking around and all the rubble and everything, it's just disbelief and anger and a lot of anger towards Sam. I just felt like it was a script. I just wish I was there. I just want to give him a hug. I just hope my sister knows how much I love her. I'm not a bad person. I'm not a monster. I'm Josh Baker from BBC Panorama and Frontline PBS. This is I'm Not a Monster. Episode 4. She's like my mother. Is this him? It's him, yeah. Hello. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we do the fist bump as well. So hold on. Huh? <laughs> I'm in northern Iraq, about an hour's drive from the Syrian border. I've just arrived in a small village. I'm here to meet someone who knows Sam. What's your name? My name is Ahem. Your English is amazing. My English is not from you. Where did you learn your English? And next one from the American. American family? Yeah. That's Ahem. He's eight years old and tells me he learned English from Sam and her children. He lived with them in Syria for more than a year. As we chat, he chews gum and plays with this bright pink camera. I have camera, just there's no battery in it. It doesn't work, but it's his favourite toy. Do you want to see my camera? Yeah, your camera is bigger than mine. Mine is really small. Try this. You got it? <laughs> I've seen Aham before, first in the ISIS propaganda film with Matthew, then in the video I'd found on Twitter while standing on a ladder at my dad's salon. It showed him escaping ISIS with Sam and her children. <laughs> Is this your uncle? An Iraqi friend of mine had managed to find Aham. He's back living with his uncle, who gave me permission to record. One banana, two banana, three banana, four, four banana, big You can listen. Where did you learn this song? From this family I'm breaking. From the American family? Yeah. How long have you this song? Aham's part of a religious minority in Iraq, the Yazidis. Earlier in the war, the Islamic State group killed thousands of them in what the UN has called a genocide. Stranded on a barren mountaintop, thousands of Yazidis have spent 10 days looking death in the face. Those that have made it to safety tell harrowing stories of men being slaughtered and young women taken away by the militants. Other Yazidis were kidnapped and enslaved and sold between ISIS fighters. 
Aham was one of those slaves. His mother is still missing. Where are you taking me? Is this your home? Yeah. Shall I take my shoes off? Yeah, Aham and his uncle live in a half-built breeze block house. Rugs are hung over the windows and doors to keep the draft out. But it's still freezing cold. Should we go and sit over here in front of the light? What is this place? This is your living room. Aham, I wanted to ask you. Ask. Can I show you a picture? Yeah. Yeah, that's her. You're smiling. This big toothy grin appears on his face as I show him a picture of Sam. That's her. Yeah, I want to go next to her. You want to go next to her? Yeah. Do you remember the name of the American woman? Um, Yusuf. No, the woman. Yeah, I'm um, um, Yusuf. Um Yusuf is the name Sam went by under ISIS. He tells me Matthew was Yusuf and Sam, Um Yusuf, which means mother of Yusuf. ISIS forced Aham to become Abdullah. So, Yusuf, Um Yusuf, Abdullah. I am next to one, and then next him, and he got me next to from them So ISIS sold you to the American family? Yeah. When he was just six years old, Aham was bought by Sam and her husband, Musa. Can you tell me a story of what it was like living with them? It's good. It was good? Yeah. She's like my mother. She's like my mother. It's hard to know what to make of this. Here's an eight-year-old boy who was snatched from his family in Iraq, forced into slavery and taken by ISIS to live in Syria. And now he thinks of Sam, an American woman who travelled to the group, as like his mom. Can you tell me about Yusuf? What happened to him? Yeah. I don't know what happened to him. Is he your friend? He's like my brother. What did you two do together in Raqqa? We are playing all the time. I ask Aham about the ISIS propaganda film. He suddenly jumps up, runs across the room, pushes aside a rug that's hung over a doorway and then disappears upstairs. He comes back with a phone and points to the screen. That's a video of me and Yusuf. Video with you and Yusuf? Yeah. I didn't know much about Islam except the name. Not the Yusuf. Not Yusuf. The video shows Matthew and Aham walking through streets that have been obliterated by fighting. And there's a shot of Aham on Matthew's shoulders. The two of them are playing inside. Is it strange to watch this? Aham says Isis told him to say, my name is Abdullah. Is that you? Yeah, and now they're going to lose it. They said to me to say like that. They said you have to say like that. He wants me to see this. He's excited to show me. I feel uneasy, but as a journalist, I've been trained to let people who've gone through trauma tell their stories however they want. This city has scared the whole world because 
Muslims, the Muslims who live in it have learned the meaning of jihad and have established the rule of Allah. Because of this, all the nations in the world were led by America. It does. Is that not all that is more from that? With his uncle looking on from the corner of the room, I ask if Sam was involved in making the film. This woman in Brooklyn, she didn't want to make a video. She said no, they put it I know it's a little hard to understand, Aha. It's much easier when you're face to face. He tells me Sam didn't want him and Matthew to be in the video. But he says that ISIS gave her no choice. So they forced her? Yeah. Was it frightening making the video? Yes. When we made a video, there was a bomb in. He tells me that when they were filming, bombs were being dropped on Raqqa and that it was a hard day. Then he pauses for a moment and points to his head. They put the gun on here. If we don't talk, he's going to kill us. So when they were making the video, they pointed a gun at you? Yeah. One he's making a video, one he's putting the gun on and uh, me and Yusuf. If we don't talk, they're going to kill us. The last time he saw Sam and Matthew was on a military base in Syria, but he can't remember where it was. Then he starts asking me about Sam. He wants to know where she is now. I mentioned that I'm in touch with her sister, Laurie. He asked to speak to her straight away. I'd already told Laurie about him, so I make a call. Let's see if she answers. Hello. Laurie? Hello. Yes. I'm, I'm with... Say, say your name. Introduce yourself. My name is Aham. Hello, Aham. Hello. And so nice to meet you. You, you don't know where it's uh, Sam? Um, unfortunately, I do not know where Sam is at the moment. I hope that we can try to bring her and the children home. I'm sitting here on a stone floor in a makeshift house in northern Iraq, mm-hmm. listening to a young Yazidi boy talk to a woman he's never met in America, all because her sister owned him. You are my sunshine, my only sunshine. And then Laurie starts to sing, a song her parents had sung to her and Sam when they were growing up. You make me happy, skies are You'll never know, dear, how much I love you. All the time she sings, this all the all the time she's saying all the fun in English. Did she sing to you before going to sleep at night? How you know that your sound like Sam? You are Sam, I know. Aham tells me Sam used to sing this song to him when they were being bombed. It was a way to calm him and the other kids. The singing is so similar that for a moment, Aham thinks Laurie is actually Sam. I'm thinking you are Sam. I know, we sound. We sound a lot alike. At the time, you have to come here so I can, so I can talk with uh, Laurie, sister of uh, Sam. A few hours and several games of indoor football later, 
I have to leave. As I drive away, it strikes me how clearly Aham feels bound to Sam and how sad and complicated it is. The only mother figure he remembers is the woman who owned him. I'd expected to come away with a clearer idea of who Sam is. Instead, I'm more confused than ever. Let me, let me point this route to you. It's two weeks before Christmas 2017. I'm in Erbil, in northern Iraq. By this point, it's been almost a year since I first heard about Sam and her family. I'm in my hotel room with my colleague Mao, finalising our plan to cross into neighbouring Syria to try to find them. We have two sources essentially saying to us that the family are in a place called al Hasaka and that they are with Kurdish intelligence, which is great in one sense because they're no longer with ISIS, they're safe, but the chance that Kurdish intelligence will let us see them is, is probably minimal. Um, there's also quite a lot of black looking on that map. Mao is ex-military and knows Syria really well. The black on the map we're looking at are areas that are still controlled by ISIS. Well, this is a list of the kind of things that we can, we can possibly get killed by, basically. <laughs> death here, death also here. They're almost defeated, but they're not defeated completely. There's also the Assad regime forces here and here, so it's... There's a lot to navigate in terms of safety so that we don't find ourselves getting kidnapped or, or running into ISIS or Assad regime troops who probably don't want us there either. <laughs> <laughs> I think when you kind of stack it up like that, it's uh, you kind of start thinking to yourself, oh, God. Yeah. The Syrian war has been raging for almost seven years by this point and has left the country devastated and divided, with areas controlled by a number of different groups not just ISIS or the army of President Assad. Navigating it all is delicate. We think Sam and the family are being held by a US-backed Kurdish militia, but there's no formal procedure for gaining access to people they've detained who have been with ISIS, so it's not going to be easy. Someone on the team had jokingly said before we left, you've got about a 9% chance of finding them, but give it a go. The next day, Mao and I are on a homemade boat. It looks like a shipping container that's been cut in half and then had an engine hastily bolted onto the back. God, that is a serious current. It feels like a real achievement that the thing floats, let alone that it's successfully battling the Tigris River, which separates Iraq and Syria. After a trip of maybe only 50 metres, the driver revs the engine and slides the boat up a pebbly bank. Finally made it in Syria then. There waiting for us is a local journalist, Naveen. Naveen, um, so in terms of finding Sam, 
Now you want to talk? We have the whole I way. know, but I'm so excited <laughs> to talk about it. I will... I will tell you what I ain't got. Naveen is taking us to the Syrian town of Al-Hasika, where we think Sam is being held. I'd sent her a picture of Matthew to show one of her contacts. He said that, yeah, I recognise him, but he's older. Oh, really? Older so than, he looks older now? Yeah. And uh, he, he told me that uh, he was translating for his mother. Oh, really? Yeah. What, translating in Arabic? Or in that? Arabic to English. This is pretty interesting. She tells me Matthew has learnt Arabic and is translating for his mom, and that other foreigners have also been visiting Sam. Not journalists, though. Yeah, they said that the foreigners came and met them. So maybe American intelligence maybe, yeah. agencies have met maybe, them. Yeah. It makes sense that American intelligence might have been visiting Sam. She's an American citizen, and the Kurdish militia she's been detained by work closely with the US military. We pull up to a military base in Al Hasika. Naveen warns me to keep our equipment out of sight. So this this might be the compound where Sam was kept. We'll see. We drive around a roadblock and past coils of razor wire. I've got a med kit, I've got a phone. Do you want to take one of the radios so we can communicate with the drivers? There are a couple of watchtowers and a guy with a moustache and an AK-47. He's guarding the entrance. They don't tend to have random foreigners turning up to see ISIS prisoners. But Naveen asks if we can see the person in charge. We're told the base commander's not here, but we can wait inside. We're shown into a room where we end up spending a couple of hours chatting to a unit of all-female fighters. At one point, someone comes to get me. I figure this is the moment that I'll get to meet the commander. I'm shown down a hallway and then up some stairs and into a corridor. In front of me is a wall of cages. It's the commander's bird collection. I'm taken back to the room and given copious amounts of sweet tea. Next, we have a long random chat about how great oil heaters are at keeping the cold away. And then... A woman runs towards us, terrified and screaming. She's just seen a monkey. And it's chasing her. The fighters burst out laughing, and it helps break the ice. I take the opportunity to ask about Western prisoners, and they admit there are some on the base. So I show them a picture of Sam and Matthew. Suddenly, they stop smiling. They look at each other, then at me. One of them nods, and they ask us to leave. As I'm walking back to the car, one of the women pulls me aside and whispers to me, Sam and the kids were here. So basically, they were, they were there. 
and they've been moved and one of the girls recognised them? Yeah. Yeah, they, some of them saw Matthew. Okay. They recognised him. Okay. That's frustrating. <laughs> but there we go. We've just missed Sam and her children. They've been moved and we don't know where to. The next few days follow a similar pattern. More bases, more chatting, more tea, and more dead ends. We look everywhere we can, but with no luck. People either have no idea who Sam is, or they don't want to talk to us. But then we get close, really close. We're walking to yet another base. This time, Mao waits outside with the cars. Josh to Mao. Yep. I'm in an office uh, inside with a man who has pictures of Sam and the kids on his phone. He's trying to work out if they're still here, but it's possible that they may be with the Americans now. We might have just missed them. But they also might be in town. We're just trying to work it out. Uh, I'm going to be in here for a little bit longer. The man explains that he's just transferred Sam and the children to another unit, about an hour and a half away. But it's getting dark and we have a rule about not being on the roads at night. You see, it's easier for groups like ISIS to move around after sunset. So we head back to our hotel. So it's, it's quite late. We've actually just jumped out of bed. It's the middle of the night, and Mao has just come to my room. Um, we've just had the phone go off, and they've just started messaging me right now. Through total luck, someone we know in England has just got in touch. They've been talking to a friend of theirs, someone they say is a powerful Syrian man, who's heard about an English journalist, me, turning up to bases looking for an American, Sam. This powerful Syrian man wants to know what we're up to, because he might help us. Um, one of the things this person is saying to us is that the American authorities are quite concerned about the safety of Sam and they're certainly involved and they're trying to block anyone seeing them, particularly us. Um, but this person sort of holds the keys, it looks like, and has just messaged me as I've been speaking, saying, can you send me uh, your address? This makes me nervous. I don't know who I'm dealing with. Meeting this man could be dangerous. We're in Syria. There's a risk of kidnap. And up until now, people haven't really wanted us to meet Sam. But they seem to know an awful lot about Sam and Matthew, an awful lot about the, the American intelligence involvements in this case, and, and where they are. We call Naveen, and she talks to the man directly. Don't give him the address of the hotel. We don't know who this man is. It, it could be security problems. So we need to meet him somewhere that's nearby that's safe, and then maybe we can come to the hotel or we can go somewhere else with him, but we need to meet him somewhere else first. After a long back and forth, lasting hours, we agree to meet him the next morning at yet another military base. We all set. Now we wait 
so to sum up, we parked around the corner from a military base none of us have heard of, waiting to meet someone we don't know to talk about a family that's proving nearly impossible to find. Then, Naveen gets a call. He's asking, where are we? We'll be there in 10 minutes, too. We drive into the base past blast walls and more razor wire and we're told to wait in our car. Eventually a man comes to get us. We follow him up some stairs, past one armed guard, then another, and another, and another. There's one on every floor in every corridor. I'm told this is the protection team for the man I'm meeting. Guards search me. I hand over my radio, knife, satellite phone, all of my electronic items. Then I'm shown into a room and told to wait. The powerful Syrian man walks in. I can't tell you anything about who he is. But he shakes my hand, offers me tea, and then grills me. Who am I? What am I doing? Why do I want to see Sam? And he warns me that if I lie to him, he'll throw me in jail. He tells me Kurdish intelligence have investigated Sam. And in his view, she's innocent. A good woman. Then he stares at me for a moment, hands me a pen and a piece of scrap paper, and asks me to write down my name and a message for Sam. Sam, he says, is in the next room. You've been listening to I'm Not a Monster. Please leave us a rating and review. It really does help other listeners find the show. And you can contact us directly. Email notamonster at bbc.com. If you know something that you think might help our investigation, please let us know. New episodes will be available every Monday on the BBC Sounds app or wherever you get your podcasts. It was written by me, Josh Baker, and Joe Kent, and we produced it together with Max Green. Emma Rippon is the podcast editor. Zoe Gelber and Janet Staples are our production coordinators. Lucy Sullivan is our production assistant. Additional production by James Edwards and story supervision for Frontline by Jay Allison. And special thanks to Mao Gris for being my teammate for 10 exhausting days in Syria. The composer is Sam Slater and it was mixed by Tom Brignall. The commissioning executive for BBC Sounds is Dylan Haskins and the commissioning editor is Jason Phipps. We've made a film as well as a podcast and if you're in the UK, you can watch Panorama Return from ISIS on the BBC iPlayer. It's a collaboration between BBC Panorama and Frontline PBS. At BBC Panorama, Rachel Jupp is the editor and Karen Whiteman is the executive producer. At Frontline PBS, Rainey Aronson is the executive producer Andrew Metz is Managing Editor. Dan Edge is Senior Producer. Sarah Childress and Lauren Azell are Senior Editors. And if you want to listen to more investigations, check out the Frontline Dispatch podcast. On the BBC Sounds app, you can subscribe to I'm Not a Monster. While you're there, you might also like this. 
Well, now to a very special person tonight, George Gibney. Thank you very much. In the 1980s, George Gibney was a well-connected, internationally renowned Olympic swimming coach. You can't just go along with the wave if you want to make exceptional progress. By the mid-90s, he'd vanished. Mr. Gibney has denied the allegations of sexual abuse which were made against Mr. him. Mr. Gibney was apparently hiding in a nearby supermarket before being smuggled in. The greatest illusion perpetrated in sport ever. There was nothing about that man that was real. So how has George Gibney escaped justice for so many years? Hey, look, look, look. There they are. Just keep your head down. Keep your head down. I retrace his steps across the US. I think George Gibney's in the front of that car. Okay, we ready to do it? Yeah. Where is George Gibney? Listen to the series so far, along with an exclusive new episode on BBC Sounds.